0: Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Let me invite you to turn with me, if you would, in your copy of Scripture to Galatians chapter 4. As always, I just want to say it's a joy to be here with you. I certainly wish I could see uh, more of your faces this morning, Uh, but as always, I am just grateful for the opportunity to worship with you all and to open up God's Word with you. So uh, this morning, as we consider Paul's letter to the Galatians, once again, we'll pick back up in chapter 4, and let me begin our time together by uh, reading scripture for us. So Galatians 4, beginning in verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for Brentwood Bible and for the the work that is happening here for your glory. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us understanding of what we read here in this text this morning. Father, would you use our time in your word to, to remind us of all that is ours in Christ, and to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, I wonder when the last time was that you forgot something. Maybe it was something small, something insignificant, but perhaps it was something a little bigger than that. Maybe it was your, your anniversary or someone else's birthday. Maybe you forgot your own birthday. The truth is we are forgetful people, aren't we? And sadly, we can be just as forgetful when it comes to spiritual matters. And it shouldn't surprise us then to see just how much of the Bible is actually filled with reminders to the people of God to rehearse God's faithfulness. God knows how forgetful we are, and so he tells us, rehearse my faithfulness so you don't forget what I've done for you. And in Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul knew this was true of them. He knew how badly they needed to rehearse God's faithfulness in their lives, because he knew their tendency to forget. Paul had preached the gospel to the Galatians early on. They had believed in Christ. Then, sometime after Paul left, false teachers had entered in, who were telling the Galatians that their their faith in Christ wasn't enough for salvation. They were telling them that they needed to also become Jews. They needed to observe all the Jewish laws and customs if they wanted to truly be saved. So, Paul. Writes this letter as a father trying to protect his children because the Galatians were listening to the false teachers. They were in danger of throwing it all away and placing themselves back under the law and going back to a life of bondage apart from Christ. So, Paul is going to remind the Galatians and us this morning you are no longer slaves because God has made you sons, so don't go back to being slaves. That's the main point of this morning's message, and it will also serve as our outline. So first of all, Paul will remind us you are no longer slaves, and then he will tell us God has made you sons, and then finally we will see Paul's appeal to us, so don't go back to being slaves. So first of all, in verses 1 through 5, Paul is going to remind us you are no longer slaves. So look with me once more at verse 1 of Galatians 4. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So Paul gives us an illustration here, and what what Paul has in mind is a child who is the rightful heir to the estate. Everything will belong to him someday, but since he is still a minor, even though he knows eventually everything will be his, right now he doesn't get to experience what that's like to own it all. And in the meantime, he's still told what to do. He's under guardians and managers who supervise him until the date set by his father. In 1995, a baby named Oyo became the youngest monarch in the world. He was only three years old at the time when he became the king of the Toro kingdom, which is in southwestern Uganda. When Oyo's coronation ceremony began, the toddler slid off of his throne, ran away, and hid in his mother's lap. Today, Oyo is 28, and he rules over uh, southwestern Uganda, over the Toro kingdom, without the need of a regent. But until his 18th birthday, he was assigned three regents. He had his mother, his aunt, and the president of Uganda. They served as his guardians and managers until he reached maturity. That's, that's a lot like the picture Paul is describing here. He's saying legally, everything belongs to, this, to the child as the rightful heir, But the reason Paul says he's no different from a slave is because experientially, he's not getting to enjoy that freedom of action yet. As a child, he's still under guardians and managers. Paul then applies this to the Galatians, and he says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So there was a time, and Paul likens it to our childhood He says, when we were all enslaved to something before we put our faith in Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, that's when we reached our maturity, but before that, before Christ, we were enslaved. But what is it that Paul is saying we were enslaved to? He says we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. You might ask, what on earth does that mean? This is actually a very difficult phrase to, to understand in Scripture, so Without getting into the weeds on this, I just want to see if I can help us understand kind of the main idea, the big picture of what Paul's communicating here. For the Gentiles, these elementary principles of the world that they were enslaved to were sin. It was their, their idols. For many of them, it was their pagan, religion, their pagan worship. They would worship things like the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they were enslaved to these elementary principles of the world. But for the Jews, on the other hand, what were they enslaved to? It was the law. It was the law. They were enslaved to the elementary principles of the law. And in their case, before Christ came, they would have believed they could find freedom by keeping the law, and even though the law was really a bondage to them. But there's something else we don't want to miss, which is the additional overtones of demonic bondage that this phrase tends to carry with it. So when we put all of this together, especially when we factor in the the context of the letter, what Paul seems to be indicating is that there is a connection between demons and being enslaved by a religious system whereby you try to justify yourself. The Galatians used to be enslaved, and now they are once again in danger of being enslaved by going back to the law to gain their acceptance with God. Now, in order to appreciate the freedom that Christians have and the freedom that is available to all people through Christ, we first have to understand the bondage that we were in before Christ. This text reminds us that we were all slaves to something before we gained our freedom. We have all had idols in our lives that we were enslaved to. Look down at, at verse 8 with me. It says, "Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. So whether it was the the sun or the stars that you worshipped, or whether whether your worship was directed towards something like success or money or whatever idols we may have propped up in our lives that we felt we needed in order to be happy or satisfied, whatever you used to be enslaved to, Paul says, it wasn't a god, but you were worshipping it, and our idols always end up enslaving us. I don't think it's too hard for us to see this if we just think about it for a moment. So, for example, if my idol is success, I will likely be willing to neglect my my family if it means I can achieve the level of success that I think I need to have. So we're enslaved to that drive for success, and we may use people. We may even be willing to destroy our marriage or even our relationship with our kids along the way if it gives us what we think we need or what we think we must have. Those apart from Christ are enslaved to their sin because they have no power over it. This is true of all people. It's our nature, and we were enslaved to the things we devoted our lives to before Christ. And it's important that we see and remember what our slavery was like so that we can appreciate what comes next. So look with me at verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And when Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, he wants us to understand something about the timing of when Christ came down to rescue us and to liberate us. Paul says God sent Jesus into the world to redeem sinners at exactly the right time. We must never forget that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are real historical events, and God planned and orchestrated those events and their exact timing just as he orchestrates all of time in history. From before the foundation of the world, God ordained that he would send his son into the world to save sinners, and he knew when it was exactly the right time to do that, and that's when he sent him. It wasn't a moment too early or a moment too late because God's timing is absolutely perfect. But notice what else Paul mentions. He says he was born of woman. This points to Jesus' humanity. He was born as a man. He came down from heaven and he remained God, but he also took on human flesh just like us. He was fully God and yet fully man at the same time. Paul then says he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Christ was born a Jew. He lived under the law, the law which everyone failed to keep. And where Adam had failed and where Israel had failed and every human being, all of us that have ever lived has failed, Jesus did not fail. Jesus kept the law perfectly on our behalf. Jesus' perfect law was about, or his perfect life was about far more than just being an example for us to follow. Now, he certainly is that, but he is so much more than that. Jesus was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, and he did that by keeping the law perfectly on our behalf and then dying and rising for our sins. Now, it's important for us to understand what the word redemption is describing. What redemption means and what it pictures is for for a slave to be released from their owner because someone has paid the full slave price to purchase them. Brothers and sisters, I want this to be clear. This is what Jesus did. He completely fulfilled all of the law's demands on us, and by doing so, he freed us from it. We were once slaves, but God has set us free in Christ. The first reminder Paul gives to us is that we're no longer slaves because Christ has redeemed us. Now next, in verses 5 through 7, we'll see the second truth Paul wants us to remember, that God has made you sons. So let's pick back up in verse 4 again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, God not only set us free, but he has made us his own sons. He has adopted us. Notice that this is God's action. This is God's initiative. God sent forth his sons so that we might receive adoption as his sons and daughters. Now, God could have redeemed us from slavery and set us free, and that still would have been amazing had he just stopped right there. He could have just sent us on our way from there, but he didn't. No, he freed us, and then he said, come home with me. You're in my family now. I will be your father, and I will love you. If you've ever been involved in adopting children or even if you've had the privilege of attending, uh, going to a a courtroom to attend the adoption proceedings for, for when parents are adopting children into their family, just attending one of those proceedings is one of the most beautiful and amazing things you can witness. Before that adoption takes place, those children do not legally belong to those parents. And then once that adoption is finalized legally, those children become part of the family Those parents become their parents and their lives are forever changed. And especially if you have godly parents adopting children, the effect of them pouring into and teaching them the gospel day after day, teaching them about Jesus, it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful thing adoption is, but what a beautiful picture of the gospel and of God's adopting love for His children Surprisingly, in biblical times, it was common for an adult (laughs) to actually be adopted by someone who didn't have an heir, so it sounds a little bit different from what we're used to, but they would adopt someone to be the heir to their estate, and then someone who previously had no relation to the person who adopted them, suddenly they had status, they had legal status as a son, and everything that the father had now belonged to them. This is a remarkable metaphor for what Jesus has given us. There are two benefits of adoption we see in this text. The first benefit is intimacy. We are brought into God's family. We are brought into relationship with Him as our Father. Look down at verse 9. It says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Paul is emphasizing here the, important, the importance and how amazing it is that we are known by God. I think we could read this, the wording of it might sound a little bit funny, what Paul does here. I think we could read it as, but now that you have come to know God, or more importantly, to be known by God. This word means more than to, the, the word know here means more than to simply know something about someone. We know God knows everything there is to know about every person who has ever lived. There's nothing he doesn't know. What this is speaking of is God's covenantal love for his people whereby He placed His love, He placed His affections on people from before the foundation of the world. As we said earlier, God planned to send Jesus at a time appointed by Him, and He sent Jesus in order to save His people, specific individuals. And if you're in Christ, you need to understand the depths of God's love for you. He set His love on you and determined to send His Son to die for you before you were ever born. As God's children, we have intimacy with God. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And despite him knowing everything about us, he has loved us enough to adopt us and to bring us into his family. And we belong there as his sons and daughters. He doesn't just put up with us, he loves us as a father loves his own children. His love for us is so great, that he wants us to experience and to enjoy living as his sons. He wants to assure us of our sonship. Look with me at verse 6. He says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice again how active God is in all of this. He sends his Son to make us sons, and then he sends his Spirit. And this is where I just want you to see God's heart on display in these verses. He sends the Spirit into our hearts to let us know that we belong to Him, to remind us that He's our Father, to remind us that He loves us. See, the Spirit is a seal. The Spirit confirms our our sonship. And God sends Him into our hearts to say, You're mine. You belong to me. Many of us are familiar with the parable of the the prodigal son when the the son leaves and, and he squanders his property and he reaches the end of himself and then eventually returns back home to his father. The father runs to him when he sees him coming. He embraces him and then he kisses him. The son responds by telling his father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, just treat me as one of your servants. One theologian commenting on the parable explains that the son has really missed the point. And I'm paraphrasing what he says here. He says, when the father kissed the son, this is the father's way of reminding him, you're still my son. You'll always be my son. It's the father's assurance to the boy that no matter what happens, you'll always be family and you'll always be my boy. The father sending us the Holy Spirit is like that. It's the father's assurance to us that he loves us and that we will always belong to him. The Galatians seem to be allured by these false teachers telling them that you're not really part of God's family unless you do these things. And Paul went so badly for them just to grasp that they were welcomed into God's family, adopted as sons and daughters the moment they embraced Jesus Christ. Paul wanted them to understand you don't have to go looking for anything else. You don't have to do anything else people tell you to do to gain right standing with God. You have Christ. And since you have Christ, you can know with confidence that you belong to God. We have the inward witness of the Spirit testifying with our spirit that we are children of God. This is a gift from God out of the goodness of His heart. And if you want to have assurance that you are loved by the God of the universe, you need to understand no other religion can offer this. This is a uniquely Christian claim and a uniquely Christian promise. If you want to know and experience the love of God for you, you simply need to follow Christ. Now, this doesn't mean there won't be threats to our assurance. There will be days when we may not feel saved. There will be days where we may not feel like God loves us. We have to even understand the effects of this fall on our, on our assurance of the fallen world that we live on and how it's affected our minds and our bodies There will be days where we will have to do battle against the lies that we're tempted to believe. We'll be tempted to believe at times the lie that our sin, you know, the sins we've committed somehow reveal that we must not really be his children. We must not really belong to him. Or that the suffering we're going through right now must mean that we don't really belong to him. These are lies from Satan. And this is why we so desperately need to be reminded of these truths in Galatians, we need to remember that we are no longer slaves and that God has made us sons. Just a word to those of you if you're struggling with assurance this morning, you're not alone. I just want to encourage you to keep reading the word, to keep rehearsing what God has done for you in Christ, but also remember that God has given you brothers and sisters. I think if more of us were open and honest about our struggles with one another, you know, we'd find out, oh, you struggle with that too? I had no idea. Here's how I've learned to rehearse the Lord's faithfulness in my life when I'm struggling. And for many of us who are struggling in this way, I think we need to be reminded to take our focus off of ourselves and even stop comparing ourselves to other people. We need to put our focus solely on Christ. God sent his son to make us sons. He sent his spirit so that we would experience being sons and daughters, so that we would know that we are his and walk in the joy of sonship. The first benefit of adoption is intimacy. The second benefit of adoption is our inheritance. Now, one of the biggest questions that has been asked in Galatians is the question of who who is it that will inherit God's promise to Abraham? And Paul ended chapter 3 and verse 29 by saying, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is what Paul wanted the Galatians to get, that they belonged to Christ, so they were in. They were part of the family, and the privileges that come with being God's child, all of it was already theirs. Brothers and sisters, do you understand what your adoption means? It means that everything, everything that belongs to God, everything that belongs to Jesus as God's son now belongs to you. All of the rights and privileges of being God's son are yours, and we will never have enough time to grasp what all of this entails, so we're not going to try to understand all of it right now, but we know it means that we will share in the glory of Christ. We will be changed into his likeness, and we know that someday our faith will finally be sight because we will see our Savior face to face, and we will be in his presence forever. I hope you understand Paul's point in all of this. These truths should impact the way we live our lives. If we understood what Paul is telling us, I think we would see ourselves a little bit differently and we would experience a greater amount of freedom and joy in the Christian life because what Paul is telling all of us who have trusted in Christ is, you're children of the living God. He's your father and everything that his son will inherit, you will inherit because you are no longer slaves. He brought you into his family as his very own sons and daughters. So, Paul has been building a case. He's been rehearsing for us what life was like when we were in bondage. He's been rehearsing for us all of the treasures that we possess as believers in Christ. So, now in verses 8 through 11, he's going to remind us in light of of his first couple of points, you're no longer slaves because God has made you sons. Now, Paul appeals to us, so don't go back to being slaves. Look with me at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. First of all, Paul reminds them of their former lives of enslavement before they came to faith in Christ, and you can hear Paul's love for them and his concern for them in verse eleven. It says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul understood the gravity of the situation the Galatians were facing, because he knew once you added anything to the gospel, requiring that people be circumcised in order to be saved, or as verse 10 alludes to, placing yourself back under the law by observing Jewish laws and customs, observing Days and months and seasons and years doing these things in order to be saved. Once you've done that, you no longer have the gospel. Once you add anything to faith in Christ, saying that people must do this in order to be saved. Some of you may be at a, a turning point of sorts in your life. You're looking at two different roads in front of you. You've been following Jesus, but you're considering jumping back On that old path, that other path, the one that you spent years of your life on, full of pursuing empty, earthly pleasures. You've been down that road, and you know where it leads. The pleasures may be nice for the moment, but they don't ultimately satisfy you. They leave you always wanting more. There's no real joy to be found there. There's only bondage. And Paul would say to you this morning, remember your slavery. Remember the bondage, the chains you were in. Don't ever forget what it was like to be in slavery. But even more importantly, don't ever forget that you belong to God now. He has bought you with the blood of his son. You're not an orphan. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Lord God Almighty. I think Paul would ask you, are you really going to turn back to slavery? Because that's an extremely foolish trade. It would be completely irrational to give it all up for an old life of bondage. So rehearse the Lord's faithfulness in his life. Remember his love for you. And whatever you do, don't turn back to slavery. But there may be others who aren't in danger of returning to their old way of life. There may be some who are Christians who are just living like they are still in bondage. Paul's saying it's time for you to stop living like a slave and start living like the son that God has already made you to be. You're no longer under the law. You're no longer in bondage because Christ has set you free. God knows you by name and you're part of his family. So stop trying to gain God's acceptance through your own merits and start resting in the acceptance that is already yours through the finished work of the cross. Are you living more like a slave or like a son this morning? How do you respond when you sin? Do you confess your sin? Do you turn away from it and turn to Christ in faith? Trusting that his blood is sufficient to cover your sin and your shame? Or do you try to find ways to earn your way back into God's good graces? If you are walking on eggshells in the Christian life, hoping not to mess up for fear that you'll lose your salvation or receive some kind of punishment, you're not living like a son. Sons aren't enslaved. They're not enslaved to sin anymore. They're not enslaved to the law anymore. They have been redeemed from the power of sin, and they enjoy the freedom of no longer being in bondage to the law. Sons hold their heads high, not because of anything they've done, but because of how much they are loved by God. Sons walk in humility because we know that none of us are better than anyone else. We are all sons because we belong to Christ. Sons are dependent upon our Father. We make it a regular practice to cry out to Him, to cry out to our Heavenly Father, asking Him for help, asking Him for wisdom, casting our burdens on Him, praying for the church, praying for our families, praying for the world. We depend upon Him in prayer. If you want to grow in living as a son and having that actually being your experience in the Christian life, let me encourage you to remind yourself that God pursued you at great cost to Himself to make you His child then ask the Spirit to bring that reality to life for you and regularly cry out to your heavenly Father in prayer. And as we do that, the Spirit will be pleased to do His work, to assure us that we belong to God, to assure us that He is our Father and we are His children. John Newton, the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, had once been a slave trader before God intervened in his life and saved him. John Newton knew all too well how forgetful he could be so he had written in bold letters and fastened across the wall over his mantelpiece in his study where he spent most of his time the words of Deuteronomy 15:15 15, 15, which read you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you John Newton was determined to remember what he had previously been and what God had done for him transforming him from a slave to a son so he placed these words where he spent most of his time so that he would be reminded every single day and he wouldn't be able to get away, of that, get away from that reality and that truth. And this is precisely what we are called to do, brothers and sisters, as Christians, to rehearse these things, to remember that we were once slaves, to remember that God has made us sons, and by God's grace and the help of the Spirit to conform our lives to being sons. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for how clearly your grace is on display for us in the pages of Scripture. Father, we thank you that, you're lo- that you love us despite our sin, despite our flaws, despite all of our shortcomings. Father, help us to walk in freedom. Help us to live as sons and daughters of the King. Father, for those who belong to you but are struggling with a lack of assurance, I pray that the Spirit would testify with their spirit that they are children of God. Father, give us the grace to remember who we once were, to remember that you have made us your sons and to live like sons. Cause us to walk in the freedom and the joy of being sons of God who have been set free by Christ. It's in your son's name that we pray and ask these things, amen.